Any of that looks familiar to you. If it brings back any memories of trying to live up uh, to that picture-perfect family that we all have uh, in our heads, and no matter how hard we try, we seem to come up short, don't we? And as that plays out in our lives, all of us have this family or this friend, uh, this set of friends, uh, family friends that seem so perfect, and every story they tell about their children. Uh, sounds like that it came straight out of a Family Channel movie. Uh, every vacation they take uh, is remarkable. Uh, their kid always wins first place or a citizen award, uh, you know, or some sort of a badge, and their spouse always does something a little more special than your spouse is capable of. And, and uh, it, it feels like that we're not just trying to keep up with that picture-perfect family in our head, but we are also lagging behind that family that we know. And that perfect family that lives down the street, and you know, if you're a wife or a mother, uh, next week we're going to deal with a very special message on, on Mother's Day weekend, but you read Proverbs 31 as a woman, and you read that as a wife and as a mom, and it's verse after verse after verse of what a perfect wife is all about. Some of that stuff is remarkable, right? I mean, you, you read that, and there's a very, very high standard there that she makes the kids close, she makes the bedspreads, she makes the curtains by hand. She's waking up early to make breakfast for her husband, and, uh, and then uh, you read verse 16 in Proverbs 31. It says, she goes to inspect a field and buys it, and with her earnings, she plants a vineyard. Really? I mean, she, she is a real estate tycoon and a farmer, too. And, and uh, I, I don't know how she has time uh, to do all of that, but there's one of those verses that rings out the loudest in our context today, and it's verse 27, and, and here's what it says. She carefully watches everything in her household. And we read that, and we think that, that's what we need to do. And that's what we need in our culture, and that's what we need in our context, is that we need to watch over our households, that I want to watch over uh, my household, but how, how do I do that? And we all want the results that we see in those families, but we don't understand the process. And, and the truth is, we only see what they want us to see, uh, because what we see is selective. And, and it's just like the Miss America pageant, right? I mean, you only see the good side, but I can guarantee you that every one of those beauty queens has bedhead. And morning breath. And every single one of them. And we usually see other people and we see other families at their best. And professional athletes today have closed practices so that you can't, the public can't see their mistakes and can't see while they're working it out. And, and actors and actresses get to have retakes and editors and lighting and makeup. And, and I wish I had the benefit of an editor you know, on Sunday morning that could edit out that stutter, you know, and uh, years ago I was doing a youth camp and uh, halfway through the youth camp, there's about 1,600 teenagers at this camp, this mom walks up to me and says, Pastor, I just want to tell you, you have been so inspiring to my children uh, this week, particularly one of my kids, uh, because the fact that you're a stutterer and you do what you do is so life-changing to my kid who is a stutterer. And I didn't have the heart to tell her that I don't really stutter, uh, but I just said, praise the Lord. 
You know, he, he, he is faithful and, and he uses us in, in the midst of it. But my brain gets ahead of my mouth and, and occasionally I start, I wish you could go back and edit that. There's all kinds of things, quite honestly. I wish that you could go back and, and edit uh, here and there, maybe some better lighting. Uh, you know, I don't know if there's makeup that could make me look like Matthew McConaughey, uh, you know, in, in that story. <laughs> but, but the principle is this. Maybe I should say I wish there was makeup that made me look less like Matthew McConaughey. But the principle is this, those perfect families, right, and those model families that you see, it's not really what they're like. Listen, you are seeing the result, and there are two things you never get to see in the model family, the mistakes and the hard work. And they're both present, and they're both there. And you think about Facebook, and Facebook is such a phenomenon, and Twitter, and all of the social media, Instagram, and all the stuff that's coming out, you hardly see people post about their bad days, right? I mean, there's some people that do that, you usually hide them, and right, we don't want to read those people's stuff. But what you normally get is, my kid just won, right? My husband just got a raise. Here's another incredible picture of my family, my life, and my dinner. And and, uh, like we wanted to see that. And and the other day, there there was a post uh, on Facebook, uh, and it was a mom taking pictures of her uh, sons who were at a t-ball game, and they were in the mud and in the dead grass, and they had it all over them. They clearly were not playing. They were uh, horsing around in the outfield, and they had dirt coming out of their ears and grass coming off their bodies and then uh, the next picture was her four or five year old daughter at the fence chugging her Starbucks and she said we forgot the you know the little girl's you know sippy cup and so she's chugging my Starbucks and it was hashtag mom of the year and and it was so refreshing quite honestly to look at that And, and to watch that because it's true right and she wasn't afraid to tell the truth to tell the whole world this is tough and 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 the culture we live in is tough and I make mistakes and she was admitting that and you can either focus on what is true and what is real or you can look at all the wonderful posts from Woodward Park you know and and the portraits and you can fool yourself into thinking that that's what true and real uh, families look like listen I've been in those photo shoots those families are not that cute and, uh, but we all fall into that trap, don't we, of wanting our family to look like that. And we want the perfect family and we want the model family. Uh, but we continue to confuse the results with the process. And as you confuse the results with the process, it's a dangerous trap. So because whatever now we see them doing, we copy that and we think that then we will be like them. And honey, their kids are playing t-ball. Let's take our kids. You know, and honey, they're going to North Carolina for vacation. Let's go too. And and honey, you know that their kids are, you know, in karate and dance and, and, you know, violin. Let's go to all of that too. You know, honey, all their clothes match. And, and ours don't. Why, why don't we do something about that? And so you end up in this endless cycle of doing stuff that matches them and is trying to keep pace with that model family. But, but you have completely ignored the fact that what you see isn't real. And, and I've said it before that there are two things that you never see in a model family. You don't see the mistakes and you don't see the hard work. And both of those things exist in model families. And our households today are in great trouble and we have to fight for them. Half of all marriages in our country end in divorce. That stat is not different in the church. It is the same stat in the church today as it is in the rest of the world. And uh, one million children in our country this year will see their parents get divorced. One million children in our country will see their parents get divorced this year. 
That's a lot of households that, that are going to be ripped apart. Nearly three million kids run away from home in our country every year. Three million children. And of those, uh, 47%, almost half of them, cite conflict with their parents as the main reason. And what happens after they run away is not good. Uh, 32% of runaways attempt suicide. One out of three attempt suicide. Uh, 70%, seven out of 10 have a substance problem. Eight out of 10 of the girls report some sort of sexual abuse. And, and these are children in households that were torn apart. And I can't help but think that something could have been done. Something could be done that would have kept those families together that would turn the tide and keep them together. But the question is, is what is it going to take? And, and the, what is the glue that, that holds families together? The family that blank together stays together. And, and the question is, what goes in the blank? We showed you some of the answers, uh, like skiing and vacationing and shopping and all of those things that, that don't always work. But all month long, we want to give you some answers, some biblical answers to fill in that blank with on how to hold on to your household. I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to start there today, and it's such a great chapter. That chapter and chapter 6 are, are together incredible chapters uh, for the family. Talk about all kinds of relationships, that husbands and wives and families and parents and employees. But it all starts in verse 1 and grouping all of us together into this one category. And in Ephesians 5, chapter 5, verse 1, here's what it says. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. I want you to circle that in your Bible, dear children. And right out beside it, I am. I am one of his kids, and I'm a part of this category called dear children. And, and no matter what category we are in, in God's eyes, we're all children, right? We all need to grow. We all need to mature. And we all still make mistakes. We fail sometimes. We all need our noses wiped at moments. And it's because we are children that we are dependent upon one thing, God. We're dependent upon him. And as children, who do we look to? Who, who is our example? Those model families? Absolutely not, right? Our, our model is God. We are to imitate God. We go to God to find our, our picture, and we look to him for the lead. We're not copying the world. We're not copying our neighbors. We're not copying the latest Facebook post. We imitate God, and we look to him to fill in those blanks. What's the first word uh, that we should put in the bank? Look at the next verse, verse 2. Live a life filled with love. Circle that word in your Bible. Filled with love. Following the example of Christ. The family that loves together stays together. The family that loves together stays together. But what does it mean to love your family? Uh, let me just show you in Scripture a few examples. And there are hundreds uh, of examples. But John chapter 4, we see Jesus traveling into Cana. And, and his fame is starting to spread. A government official from nearby Capernaum uh, has a sick boy at his home, and he, he hears about Jesus, and he goes and he seeks out Jesus for his household and, and for those in his family. And he says, Jesus, would you please come and, and heal my boy? The text says that he begged Jesus. He went after Jesus. So Jesus tells him, listen, I don't need to go to your house. Your son is healed. And the government official believes Jesus and goes home. 
and starts heading home. And the Bible says that when he got close to home, all of his servants and his household comes out and they said, Master, we've got great, great news. Your son is alive. He came out of it yesterday around one o'clock. And the Bible says that the government official was beside himself. Why? Because that was the exact time that he was with Jesus, a long distance away. That's love, that the government official loved his son so much that he sought out Jesus for his family, that seeking out Jesus for your family is loving your family, that, that he sought out Jesus and he went after Jesus and he seeks out Jesus and he begs him uh, to interact on his son's behalf. What was the result? John chapter four, verse 53, it says, he and his entire household believed in Jesus, became followers of Jesus, which is the picture of love, the love you have for your family. You seek out Jesus for your whole family. You want your family to stick together. You want, your, you want to get a hold on your household. How, how do you do that? You seek out Jesus. That, that is how you love your family. That you, you go wherever is necessary. You do whatever is necessary to make that happen for your relationship with Christ to be growing and, and on the men. We've been learning a memory verse each week in our home since January 1st. And a couple of weeks ago, it was Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, that famous verse of Scripture. That if my people, who are called by my name, and we'll do four things. This is how we memorize it as we drive in the truck. Four things, right? And then God's going to do three things. And the four things are that if they will humble themselves, if they will pray, if they will seek my face, and if they will turn from their wicked ways, then God will do three things. That he will hear from heaven, he will forgive their sins, and he will heal their land. And when we came to this verse a few weeks ago, Ben uh, was sitting in the front seat, and, and, uh, which we have this whole front seat war in, in, in our house, and, and I, I've just solved it, and the, the way that I solved it, I just said, uh, here, here it is. Oldest gets it every time. Done talking about it. The girls get it every time. Boys, you will sit in the back. Catherine sits in the front, Period. And, uh, and so that's just the way it's going to go. So if Catherine's there, she sits in the front. If she's not, Eli gets it. If Eli's not, Ben gets it. If Ben's not, Limley, in a few years, you can have it. And, and, and so uh, that's just the way it's going to roll. We're done discussing it. We're done having time. But so Ben's sitting in the front seat. This was before the rule was laid out. And, and so Ben's in the front seat, and we're driving to school. And we get to this verse, and I'm teaching them this verse on the way to school. And Ben says, that verse says that God will heal their land. And I said, Yeah. And he said, what does that mean? He said, doesn't everybody have to believe in Jesus for themselves? Because the way I'm hearing you say that verse is that if I do these things, God's going to heal the people around me. And God's going to heal the land around me. If I do those things, then it doesn't matter if they do it or not. And I said, well, it's kind of the way that it's implied. And so we start talking about what is land. Well, your country maybe or maybe your household or whatever. And, and this is what my uh, nine-year-old boy goes to immediately. Here's what he says. So if I do those four things, that means that my aunt and my uncle who are divorced, they get back together? What you see where his heart is. And, and you see where his mind is going. And you, and, and you see how this is playing out. And he says, so Sam and Stacy are back together if I do these things. And I said, well, maybe. I, I, I don't know. But we have to just take God at his word and, and that it says God will heal the land. And in this verse, all of a sudden, it goes from a memory verse into a great, great lesson. 
And I don't know exactly how that works, but the promise is there. And, and you can just see the gears turning in his heart and in his mind that if I seek Jesus and I humble myself and I pray and I seek his face, that, that he will heal households. That's exactly what the verse says, that he will heal households. And the whole thing turned from a memory verse into this lesson and something that affected him in a deep, deep, deep emotional way. And love, listen, love is seeking out Jesus for your entire household, for your family. But, but are we willing to do the hard work? And are we willing to do those four things? Are we willing to do those lifting? Humble ourselves and, and pray. Limley, you know, getting this verse last week. She'd been working on it a couple of weeks, and she says, and God, humble our land. And I said, no, please don't pray that. <laughs> Heal our land, right? And in the process, will you humble yourself, and will you pray, and will you seek his face, and will you turn from your sin? What do you want out of life? You want a bunch of stuff that you collect? Not really, right? And you gain perspective from those who are about to die. You gain perspective from those who are really close to death. And what you really see is that you want your family changed. And you want God to do something in your family. I remember hearing prayer requests all the time as a kid that, that, you know, my son or my husband or my daughter, they're far from God. Church, would you pray for my family, my family member who is far from God? We need to do that. But, but it shouldn't start there, right? We got to back that train up and start somewhere way before all of that. We need to be seeking Jesus before those things happen and before the waywardness happens and before that is the part of the, the, the plan and the way that it's working. Love is about leading your family. Who is leading your family? Who? Because if you're not, the devil will be glad to step in and, and, and to take that role. Listen, love is not passive and permissive parenting. That's not love. God didn't call you to be your kid's friend. He called you to be your kid's leader. And he called you to be their mom and their dad and their parent. And if you love your kids and if you love your family, listen, you will lead your family. Lead them how? Lead them in the word. Lead them in devotion. Lead them into memorizing scripture so that when they're gone, it's in them. You have insulated your kids. You can't isolate them from the world. You certainly can't isolate them from temptation. And the truth of the matter is, you can't isolate them from mistakes. One of our men went with me this last week to pick up my children from school. And, and uh, you know, he's never really met my kids. And he's, you know, he's uh, a little bit older than me. And so, you know, he gets in the car. And, and, and you know, so when we pick up the kids, the kids are like, you know, who, who is this? And, and, you know, so we have this conversation. We make the introductions. And then we let the kids out. And me and this man that had a meeting uh, came back to the church. And in the conversation, he said, man, I, I love that your kids, you know, related to you in, in the way that they did. And he said, I have a friend who's a pastor in town and his, his children call him pastor. That's an indictment. On the world that we live in and the way that the devil has convinced us that we're supposed to impress people with our children. And that we're supposed to impress people. And our children are supposed to impress people. Listen to me. Your kids need to call you daddy. And your kids need to call you mommy or mama. And, and, and you don't need to, they don't need to feel any pressure to impress anyone around you. They need to know that you love them, that you care for them, and, and that that relationship is primary in their lives. Listen, you can't put that kind of pressure on them. They are going to make mistakes. Now, you teach them right and you teach them the right way. My, my, we, I try that. 
And I know that feeling. I, I mean, I, I have thought about making a rule that says, hey, when dad's on the phone, if you scream, you're grounded forever. I mean, I, I've thought about doing that. Why? Because I don't want, you know, to be on the phone with somebody and one of my children to get into it with another one. But, but then you think of the implications of that rule, that, that it is about impressing people. And I'm not going to set rules that are about impressing people. Lead your kids in the word. I want my kids to have it planted in their heart. Do you have a family time where you talk about the word, where you talk about devotion? That Lead them in prayer, praying for them and praying over them and then watching them pray over each other. Do, do you pray for and with your family on a daily basis? you got to lead them. Listen, our culture has sucked you down the toilet. And it will take all of your time just doing so much stuff. Listen, doing stuff doesn't make you a leader. It's as simple as that. Uh, busyness does not equate leadership. Just copying your neighbor and, and trying to do as much stuff as they're doing is not leadership. That, that does not mean you're doing what it takes to hold on to your family. It takes hard work that we've talked about and behind-the-scenes work to produce the results that we all want in our family. And, and I want to give you some practical things today that a family who loves and leads does. That the family who loves together, first of all, puts a priority on worship. Think about all the things that, that you are trying to do to keep your family happy. All the things that you're trying to do to keep them together. All that stuff in that video, which is kind of slapstick, but all that stuff in that video. How many of those activities are keeping you from worshiping together as a family? And you got to wrestle with that. I'm telling you, I, I talk to and have talked to families whose kids are graduating from high school every year for 20-something years. I've had conversations with those families. And almost without exception, every year, some family or families say to me, Pastor, you got to tell them. If I had it all to do over again, we wouldn't have given our lives and our souls to a ball. We would not have given our lives and our souls to dance. We would not have given our lives, and our, they're gone now and that's not gonna matter in their lives anymore. I would have eaten dinner with my family a whole lot more. We would have prayed together a whole lot more. We would have found time to decompress, to gain perspective as a family. You talk to people who are on their deathbed, and every single one of them will say, if I had it to do over, I would take more time to decompress, to gain perspective on the world that we live in. Listen, I don't know why it is, but, but it seems like when a husband and a wife have a baby today, something just sort of flips in their mind and it, and that we're gonna stay home. And, and, and you know, some doctor somewhere in the last 10 years has said, be careful, be careful, be careful. Keep that baby indoors for two years. And there's some kind of a mindset today that says, you know, you gotta put a bubble around that kid for a couple of years. God forbid, he may get a runny nose. Or may he, he may cry a little bit. You know, in 30 years from now, how this plays out is, you know, the, his boss is going to say, I wish I could give you a raise, but your parents took you to church when you were six weeks old. That's where you got screwed up. That they took you out of the house. And, and, and I do know this, that 100% of parents who I've met who stopped going to church once their kids were born, they regret that decision. And the phrase that I hear over and over and over and over again from them is, I need to get back in church. My wife is talking to me about church. She's bugging me. I know I need it. I need to be back in church. The family that loves each other will prioritize, listen, the local church in their lives. 
The, the more you attend and the more you serve, the closer you get to the church. Listen, and, and here's what plays out, and I'm realizing this over and over and over as we're 10 years old and, and we're approaching 10 years old as a church, that, that the closer you get to a church, the more you realize that that church is not perfect which is a lousy expectation. I, I, I mean, just to think through that for just a minute, why would anyone expect their church to be perfect, right? Especially this one, we don't allow any perfect people in. So how could you possibly dream for a second that it would be perfect? But what happens is you get closer and you get inside and you get into the intricacies and all of a sudden you see things and you're like, wow, that's not perfect, right? People who, own, uh, you know, who attend church here, re- every week I meet somebody who attends church here and says, like, Pastor, I'd like to be on staff. Every single week, I, I like to be on staff. Let me just tell you, I've watched that experiment play out hundreds of times, and 90-something percent of the time, it ain't good. Why? Because you think you're coming to work at youth camp. And, and the, the expectation, what I say to them is, I don't think it's a good idea for you to come work at your church. Why? Because you love your church. Why? And you're going to come in, and you're going to see things that we work with people. And anytime you work with people, there's conflict with people, right? I mean, you've given your life to a spouse for the rest of your lives, and you have conflict with them. Oh, what makes you think it's going to be less with people you work with just because they're believers, just because they're Christians? Listen, that passage in Ephesians chapter 5 is talking about loving our family. But listen, go back and read it again. Every single illustration in that passage of Scripture, those two chapters of Scripture, is do this in this way, and the example is Jesus, Husbands, love your wife in the same way that Jesus loved the church and gave his life up for her. Every example and qualifier is about Jesus. And you've probably heard this taught perhaps your whole life on an instruction for loving your family. But listen to me, the undeniable implication of these passages is that we are to love the church in the same way that we love our families, and we are to love our families in the same way that we love our church. Listen, this goes hand in hand. And the way we love our church is we love our families. And the way we love our families is we love our church. Listen, we are to be in love with the body of Christ. What is keeping you from leading your family to worship together on a regular basis and on Sundays? What is keeping you from making that a priority in your life? Whatever it is, listen to me, it is not as important as the blessing and the legacy you will leave in your children it's not and you want to leave uh, your family with an inherent love for the body of Christ and what many people in the church today are doing is they are creating skeptics about the body of Christ with their children listen that is not the path you want to lead your kid down you protect your kids image of the local church it's not just worship in a church that is important together the family that loves together puts a priority on community they put a priority on community. And we call community groups, that's the reason we call it community groups, that, that our meeting with other people outside of the walls, the four walls of this building and these campuses is so incredibly important and it is so vital to your growth and it is so vital to your family's growth. Listen, your children need a small group of children and, and a leader who loves them and who, who will help you All of us, listen, if you're over 29 years old, you're not cool anymore. 29. Just give it up. You're not, okay? And so go on and get the minivan. Go on and just, you know, accept it. I'm watching these girls today, and the mom jeans are coming back. You know what I'm talking about? 
with the pouch on the front, the, 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 the high, high waist. And, and, and I mean, the girls wore that when I was a kid. I've got pictures of Meredith in that junk. And, and, and see, there comes a time, listen, where you get to a stage in life where you say, no, I'm good right here. I'm not going back. I don't care where the fashion goes. I ain't going back to the mom jeans. And let me just say to all the girls, don't do it. You look like a clown. And the truth of the matter, it's interesting, listen, that the Bible uses the word over and over and over, household of faith. Household of faith to describe the early church. And over and over and over again, the writers use that New Testament word, household. And I don't think it was because it sounded good. I think there was something about that word that, that was attractive in the New Testament church that when the apostles uh, started the church, the first thing they did, or what they didn't do, is to go find a piece of property, right? And, and they didn't go look to buy, you know, an abandoned mall, and they weren't looking for a box on any block, and they didn't try to find some old used synagogue, you know, that wasn't making it. They... they, they that they could convert into a new church building with a big sign out front. And, and that's actually a pretty recent development in church history. They could not buy land and they could not buy buildings for use as a place of worship. So what do they do? Acts 2 says, right after the day of Pentecost, and right after that, verse 46 says, they worshiped together at the temple every day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and they shared meals with great joy and with great generosity. Listen, there were no churches. There was no first apostolic church of Jerusalem. There wasn't. Where, where they could hold board meetings or committee meetings and all that put together. They met at the temple each day to worship because that's all they knew. And then they started this other thing too, the Lord's Supper in their homes. They started doing this in each other's homes. And they were gathering together with other people in homes. There's something about meeting at homes with other families. And you start to live out the household of faith household of faith thing in a new light listen some of those of you who are my age and older you remember i can remember being at home on a saturday and another family knocking on the door and walking in the house and staying all day and there were families that we did life with they didn't call and they didn't say they were coming they just showed up and and, and Mom would make something to eat and put a pot of coffee on and we would get board games out and there was room in life to do life with other families. And I gotta tell you today, I, I, there are a lot of things. My oldest is 13 and I'm looking back on the last 13 years and, and the four children that God's given me and I would do the last 13 years differently in uh, several ways if I had it to do over. I wouldn't let my kids play or do any activity until about age nine or 10. If I had to do it over. You say, well, they're going to fall behind. Bull malarkey. <laughs> That's crazy. And, and hear me from somebody who's made the mistakes. You say, well, your kids got to do it, and da, 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 and now you're turning your you know, switch on it. And da, da, da. Listen, I, I think there's value in some organized things. But... I, I hear it from family after family. I have a different perspective because I hear it over and over and over again. Listen, it goes so fast. And you gotta evaluate your life and as you decompress and look at your life, you gotta say, who are we doing life with? 
Who are the people that, that, that we are doing life with? And if the answer to that is, is some dance club or some troop or some band or, that, that you, you are frantically running with from one event to another event, from one competition to another competition, it's not a good answer. And, and you say, you're getting all over my toes today. Listen, I've I, I got to live with what I'm preaching to. And we got to find integrity somewhere in life. And God is going to hold us accountable for our family. And, and as God holds you accountable for your family, you got to do some real evaluation as to, am I trying to keep up with this culture or am I listening to what God wants me to do with my kids? And part of raising healthy children is community. And other people in the faith that are walking with you, that your kids get to see in an environment where they're not supposed to be holy. In an environment where they're living life and it, and it plays out. And, and we knew that when we started the church. That's why we do community groups. And we said, no, we're not going to do Sunday school in a drafty, holy building. We're, we're going to do community groups in homes. And, and, and because there's something about gathering around a living room. And sharing a meal together. And, and, and talking and discussing the word together. And, and playing games together. And when you gather with other families, you start to learn about them. And you let your guard down. And, and you put aside that shiny exterior. And, and the whole notion of you're a perfect family goes right out the window immediately. And when other people see you, uh, there, there, there's no such thing as model when you try to eat lasagna with a plastic fork. Right in front of other people. And the whole notion that your perfect family goes out the window at that moment. And as you let your guard down, you start to open up about those two things that we talked about that you usually try to hide. Your mistakes, you talk about them. You talk about the mistakes you've made in marriage. You talk about the mistakes you've made in raising your kids. You talk about them. And, and it is therapeutic to other families in the faith. But you also talk about the hard work. And the things that are working in your home and the things that are working in your family. And as you talk about that, what, what, did, what did we do that got it right? And you learn from each other and you see the process, not just the results. And seeing the process is so incredibly important. And it's just like ironing, sharpening, or iron sharpening iron. And you learn how to hold on to your household by the community of faith that you are doing life with. All throughout the New Testament, Paul uses the word household. And it's not just about the church. It's about families that he encountered. Some of them he was very, very close to. Timothy, he talks about, he calls him his true son in the faith. Others he calls brothers, and others he calls sisters or dear children. And it was like he was related to them. And there was something about those families that sparked something in Paul's heart as he wrote about them. In Corinth, there was a household that he knew that meant an incredible amount uh, uh, to him. We get a little picture in 1 Corinthians 16 uh, of that family. And listen to what he said. You know that Stephanus and his household were the first of the harvest believers in Greece. And they are spending their lives in service to God's people. He led his family well. And he held his household together because he put a priority, and this is the third thing I want to show you today, on serving others. The family that loves together will put a priority on service together. Listen, we don't know exactly what Stephanus did, no list of accomplishments you know, about his life, but he lived his life in service to God, and his whole household served the Lord together, and they served the people of God. What an incredible testimony. If you could have one sentence about your life in the Bible, wouldn't you want that to be it? 
that, that your whole household serve the Lord together. That, that here's how you can do that. Listen, and how, how you leave that type of legacy. You find a ministry in the church and you find a mission in the world. And, and, and as I think through this and wrestle with this and pray through this, listen, we're gonna introduce a ministry this summer that I've been going through and I've been coached in the, the last six to eight months called Your One Degree, and I've been thinking about this for children and how do we help kids determine what it is they're really good at and how God's gifted them so we kind of set them on that path and quit all this nonsense with kids that have no business you know, on that path. And, and listen, there's some of our children have these gifts that we're not helping them with. And we're gonna answer for that. You train up a child in the way he should go. That verse literally means according to his bent and the way that the Lord made that child. And we've got to spend time in prayer. We've got to spend time with our kids so that we know who our kids are and we're training them up according to the way God made them. And that God wants to use them in the world. But you need a ministry in your church and you need a mission in the world. Let let your kids know that you're going to church. Listen, you come into the building. It it serves a purpose. Why? Because we're going to help people come to know Jesus. Why? Because we're going to help people advance in their journey with Christ. Listen, let me just say to you, 10 years into this process, don't grow weary in doing good. Listen, it's not that we grow weary in all this bad stuff. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 says, don't grow weary in doing good. And you go back and think through all the passages of Scripture. Elijah, when did he grow weary? After he called fire down from heaven. When did Nehemiah grow weary? After he built the wall that we still talk about today, thousands of years later. And story after story after story in Scripture, it was they grew weary in doing good. Why? Because you lose your focus and you lose why I'm doing this. Listen, church, listen, there was a day in the last 10 years where you tiptoed in anticipation into this campus on what God was going to do. What is God going to say to me today? How is God going to change my life today? And when we lose that, and I said, I've been there. I'm not pointing my finger at you. This is us. We're huddled. My arms are around you. I'm not doing this. I'm in the huddle with you. Last week, I went over to Midtown at 11.30, and, and I sat on the back row at Midtown, which is really strange. And Meredith's sitting beside me going, this is weird watching you on the screen. I said, try to be me. <laughs> I got about 100 tips for that guy on the screen. <laughs> there was a couple sitting in front of us, directly in front of us. We sat on the very back row because we were a few minutes late, and, and, and over at Midtown, I just say, that door over there, you know, on the right side of the sound booth when you walk in, that hinge needs to be replaced. Probably be going to be done this week. <laughs> and because people are in and out that door, and it's... And, and this couple right in front of me, if you're there today, listen, I love you as your pastor. I, I'm just telling the truth of what I watched. Five minutes into my message, the lady gets up and walks out that door. And three minutes after that, the man gets up and walks out. I'm like, man, what did I say? I said it, you know, an hour ago, but they're watching it now, and I'm not even sure what was offensive about it. And they're both gone, and about three minutes later, she comes in this door over here in the back corner and sits back down. And then a minute or two after that, three minutes after that, he comes and sits down, and then I realize they're spatting with one another. And so now I'm not watching me on the screen, I'm watching this couple. And they're clearly cold with one another, and this thing is going on. And, you know, we all love that because there are moments that we've all been in that boat, right? There are moments when your spouse just doesn't understand. 
and, and you know, you said it wrong or whatever, and, and there's this coldness between you, the one you've given your life to. And, and, and all of a sudden, they're listening, and, and then all of a sudden, on the screen, from the hour before, I say to the people, bow your heads, and I say, how many of you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And I'm watching the room. And the couple right in front of me, both hands go up. Six inches from where I'm sitting. And then on a screen from an hour before, I said, if you just gave your life to Christ, would you raise your hand? And both of them raised their hand. And tears are flowing down my cheeks going, I, I, I did not. And here's what God said to me. You did not anticipate me moving. You didn't bring your family with anticipation. And there was a day, there were years, quite honestly, that my prayer every single day was, God, would you grow your church? Would you please grow your church? And I don't know where it happened because it was so gradual. But somewhere along the way, that's not a part of my daily prayer routine. And I don't know because it's big enough. Not certainly not what I feel in my heart. I, I don't know it's because we have three services and a couple of campuses. We're looking for other camps. I, I, I don't know. But I'm going to tell you, the one who holds his family together puts a priority on worship. Family worship and corporate worship and the bride of Christ. It is the only plan of Jesus. Listen, the local church is the only plan of God to reach the world. It's the only plan to advance the saints. It's the only plan of the New Testament. A priority on worship, a priority on community, and a priority on service. And we walk with anticipation of what God is going to do. And, and i got to just say today, well, this is going to be a great series. You don't want to miss next week on Mother's Day. And I wish I had time to unpack it, but around here we approach a series like people approach a sermon. You've got to stay with me for four or five weeks to get it. I'm just redundant that way. These principles of worship, community, and service, they're so vital to keeping your household together. It's not camping trips. And it's not youth sports, and it's not shopping trips, and it's not vacations. Listen, those things are all good, and they all have their place, and, and they're nice, but they are not the point. And they are not the focus. The point is loving your family enough to lead them in the important things in life and showing them the priority. Listen, we can get off track by, by doing stuff. And we do all this stuff and we do as much as you know, our neighbors do and we do as much as they do and, and we think we need to do it better and, and we think we're doing it as a family. And listen, that's not just true for your family. That's true for this family. As I wake up, you know, 10 years into this process and, and I'm working on this series for this summer and we're going to take 10 weeks this summer and I don't, I don't know exactly what we're doing but I'm wrestling with God over where we're supposed to go as a church. But there's a day you wake up 
and you look around your faith family and the same thing that's true for indigenous families isn't true for, for our faith family in this big corporate faith family. I look up and I look around and I go, all of a sudden we're a full service church. Which we had no intention of ever being. And, and we throw some event on and God blesses it and it's successful and all of a sudden we don't ask God about it. We just put it on the calendar for next year. And next year and next year and next year. And, and, and then we have another one and God blesses that and it was big and it was good and lives were changed and we don't ask God about it. All of a sudden it's on the calendar. There used to be a period of time in, in a couple of different areas in the year, somewhere around the holidays, November to December and, and somewhere in the summer where it was a little bit, you could catch your breath. And, and, and there was time to decompress and there was time for perspective and there was time and all of a sudden now we've taken all 12 months as a church and we've stuck something in every month and I gotta say I'm sorry and we got a meeting this next week two days and here's the agenda what are we gonna quit doing in order to get back to the priorities of what God called us to so that we have enough emotional margin to keep the main thing the main thing all the time. And listen, I know I'm the one bringing it up, crying in staff meetings, saying to the leaders, listen, we gotta quit. We gotta quit adding all this stuff. What the, the new rule is you can't add anything without taking something off as a church. But we got to go back and we got to decompress. And so I know, I know as the one bringing it up that, that I'm saying we got to cut some things. And somebody across the table this week in the staff retreat meeting is going to say, well, let's pull that out. And I'm going to go, no, 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 not that. I made that, right? And I designed that and I invented it and I'm emotional about that. And here's the deal. When you create something and you start something, you think it's better than it is. That's the truth. There are ministries all over this church that you started, you think it's better than it is. Because you're emotionally attached to it. But there are things, guys, we gotta back off from as a faith family, and there are things as individual families. We gotta back off in order for the main thing to be the main thing every day. Let's pray together. And let me just say today, as we talk about the main thing being the main thing, as, as we're praying on the Midtown Church and this Battle Creek Church, and those of you watching online today, if you've slipped in here and you've never given your life to Jesus, can I say to you that's the main thing? It's the main thing. And I want to give you an opportunity to give your life to Christ and to find salvation today in the person of Jesus. And so right where you're seated, would you just say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And today I turn my back on my sin and I ask Jesus alone to save me. And I want to thank you, Jesus, for saving me, coming into my life to be my Lord and my Savior and my forgiver. I receive the gift of salvation. The best way that I know how, I turn my back on my sin and I trust you alone to save me. And I want to thank you, Jesus, for saving 